Hey, everyone. We want to take a moment to tell you about the sponsor of this podcast, Roosevelt's. You may know Roosevelt's as the company who makes those rad all-over print button-downs with just about every franchise that you love. They, of course, have Star Wars, because this is a Star Wars podcast, but they also have Harry Potter, Disney, Pixar, Marvel, NASA, WWE, The Office, Nickelodeon, Rick and Morty, Friends, all kinds of other stuff, including new lines from Yellowstone and The Godfather. And not just button-downs, but t-shirts, they do shorts, jackets, hoodies, koozies, flannels, so many different kinds of items, so many dope designs. So if you're interested in picking something up for the first time, go to rsvlts.com and use promo code THANKTHEMAKER with no spaces to get 20% off your first purchase. Once again, that's rsvlts.com. Use promo code THANKTHEMAKER to get 20% off of your first purchase. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there and welcome to Think the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm Adam Russell. And I am Mike Forrester, cosplaying as Nick Ambarian today. Hey, Adam, how's it going? Hello there. You look beautiful. It's a duo cast. I got my Mando shirt on because I feel like it's a pretty Mando day. Is it a busy week for you, Adam? Is there anything large, important happening in your life that's also by proxy affecting my life? Anything going on this week? No, just like half a dozen massive things that are stressing me the hell out. Like an album coming out, an album release show. Nice, nice. Um, a pop-up merch shop, a signing. That happens all the time. Yeah, it's weekly. Yeah. So NBD, yeah, I'm not about to jump off a bridge or anything. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's all pretty normal. Well, if you jump off a bridge, you could... Just fly around with your Mandalorian jetpack if you want. That's what I was getting at. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. What, a, what a day for Star Like, do you ever do you ever think, like, how lucky we are that in 2023 we're getting this level of Star Wars twice in one day? It's insane. And, dude, t- you would think that the folks at the top at Lucasfilm would be like, let's spread out some of this amazing Star Wars stuff. But, no, they wait for all, like, the heaters with the Bad Batch to come (laughs) at the same time as the Mandalorian. They couldn't push it one day or something? No. They couldn't move it to Thursday? No, they want want you completely socked in. And what a a time for us to have a podcast to be able to have to consume like almost an hour and a half of amazing Star Wars content and then try to wrap our brains about talking about it with a a reasonable time frame. It's like emotionally exhausting. I'm not complaining, but it is. We were talking about this right before we hit record. Going from Mando, because we, we watch Mando first, or I do at least. Yep. I am so, especially with an episode like this, so emotionally invested in the Mandalorian culture and this side of Star Wars. And then you have to switch gears in a way to something that I'm equally invested in, which is the clones and the, the history of that and those character journeys. Yeah. And man, it's like when I'm about to hit play, I'm like, oh, God, am I ready for this yet? Because, you know, I saw Crosshair in the thumbnail. <laughs> Dude. He doesn't care he doesn't about w- your feelings. <laughs> no. Maybe he does now. Maybe he does now. Good point. Good point. We should have a podcast about Star Wars and talk about that. I think that's a good idea. That's a great New Year's resolution to start in March. <laughs> have a, yeah, podcast. Talk about Star Wars. So let's, before we get into The Mandalorian and do our deep dive, let's do some immediate reactions to Bad Batch. And I apologize to everyone who wants more Bad Batch content. We want it too. It's just hard to pull off. Yeah. It's a lot of work. Uh, So we'll do a wrap up at the end. And by the end, I mean, we're going to try to squeeze it in there because Mando's going to continue after the Bad Batch is done. We'll see how it shakes out. We have some plans for the interim when this stuff is done. We'll Again, we'll see. Uh, Mike, what were your immediate reactions? How did you feel about the Bad Batch? The immediate reaction about Bad Batch that I think is really incredible is like really who Crosshair has become as a character because you see an you see a thumbnail of him and I almost get like a dark cloud comes over me 
as I watch it because his it's incredible what his unique character story arc everything about him if it's a crosshair episode it's gonna be a dark possibly brooding episode where you know how dark his character has kind of been written to be uh to you know share as a opposite compliment uh on the other side of the bad batch right now and so I saw this and I know that people were saying, I think it's a crosshair episode and it's crazy at what the lens is whenever it's a quote unquote crosshair episode. But this one particularly, it is a, it's a massively important episode for him particularly. Um, but I, I would say that our new officer that we'll talk a little bit about, because of course like new armor, so I'm, I'm excited about it. Yeah. But uh, our new officer, what was his name? Landon? No. Officer Douchebag. Yep was uh he was given money to pong krell for being one of <laughs> the worst characters on screen yeah and just truly how transparent he was about his distaste for as he called old equipment uh and so it really just it you're getting the sense that the empire was was moving this direction and of course we have people like rampart who are who are playing this this kind of long play of how he was planning to uh, remove the clones out of service but this episode was just brutal in terms of saying not only do we not care about your fellow soldiers that have died he's like get back out there and go retrieve the cargo and then you find out that it's not even cargo for you it's cargo for your replacement it's literally yeah. you working on training your replacement i'm like man that's brutal uh he got what he deserved yeah i said it i don't care yeah. i i advocate for murder in that case of course yeah screw that guy bury him next to pon krell in a dumpster <laughs> And what do we say, everyone? Pond Crowl. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, man. It could have been anything else in those containers. It could have been fermented dog shit. Malu runs. <laughs> like, it could have been anything, and it would have been better than the armor for your replacements that you're out here dying for in the snow. It was brutal, but I, I like it when it's brutal. Yeah. I got to admit, yeah. it's just great. Like, the, the emotional weight of it. It's so satisfying. There's like a part of my brain that subconsciously, as I'm watching these brutal, dark episodes of Star Wars animation, my brain's going, see, all you fucking haters who can't take the time, can't be bothered to watch cartoons. This is what you're missing. Yeah. You know, it's just like reinforcing yeah. our investment. I, I also love that it left Crosshair in a place that it, it, his devotion to the Empire has obviously been shaken, but it's completely ambiguous where he might go from here. You know, the fact that he point blank, essentially murdered an officer shows something huge, a, sh a huge shift. And we've been seeing it in his body language, how he's been and Steven Glansberg out there just by himself right. every time he's on screen, but he's, he finally had enough of it. He still seems like fully devoted to the idea of defending the empire, what used to be the Republic, being a soldier, doing his job, following orders. That's his identity. But there's something else there and i wonder if he's going to end up a mercenary is he going to rejoin the rest of his brothers i don't know man is he going to uh be subject to lots and lots of weird experiments yes mm. i would say so mm -hmm. yeah absolutely that was a nice little moment yeah, at the end where you're like oh good he's saved oh no yeah immediately after yeah everything i just said is contingent upon him making it out of there but since they, they hinted last week pretty heavily that they need more of these like um, altered clones for Palpatine's right. long-term plans, yeah, he might be dead. He might be going, or if not dead, completely maimed, torn apart. You know, he could be going the way of Echo. Echo, yeah. So. Yeah. Oof. Well, stay tuned next week for <sighs> Man, Star Wars heavy. Television. Yeah. yeah. Also, who's going to be the first? This is a, a good question for you as a, an armor builder, who's going to be the first to do that wrapped up, you know, cloth wrapped clone look in the community. That was pretty good. I kind of liked it. It was like, and, and I, I liked too that they called them the Raiders because there were certainly like in their wrappings, they had almost like snow versions of Tuscans, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they kind of had like the, you know, faceless helmet shape, but then they had just the little visor on them. I was like, that, yeah, these guys know what they're doing. That's for sure. That's going to be fun to see. All right, let's talk about The Mandalorian, and I'm going to go straight to Stolen Plans. What have you done with those plans? 
The Mandalorian, Chapter 18, The Minds of Mandalore. This is episode Ooh. two of season three, debuted today, March 8th on Disney+. Plus. Disney Plus description, The Mandalorian and Grogu explore the ruins of a destroyed planet. Directed by Rachel Morrison. This looks like, if this isn't her directorial debut, well, it is. She may have directed this other thing first that she, you know, it's in her upcoming on IMDb. It's a film, I believe. Mm-hmm. So who knows what she directed first, but this is the first thing out. She was the cinematographer on Black Panther and Fruitvale Station. Ryan Coogler connection there. Yes. And she was a cinematographer on Dope, which was written and directed by Rick Famuyiwa. Written by John Favreau, of course. Runtime, 42 minutes. Guest starring Amy Sedaris as Pelimato and Katie Sackoff as Bo-Katan Kreese. Oh, and she bring it, man. Holy cow. Yeah. She's finally been able to have like an episode where she's been able to show her range. And mm-hmm. I mean, she. I think, I think Bo-Katan is just a character that is so underrated when we think of like characters with depth, right? Yeah. And she's got such an interesting, we'll talk about it a little bit more of it, like her background and like trying to do the right thing. I just felt like Katie Sackhoff absolutely nailed this episode as this conflicted character. So assuming, I'm sure she listens to Thank the Maker podcast. So I just want to say, Katie, nice job today. So uh, first impressions, observations on this one, what what was your sort of immediate emotional reaction to this episode? Well, I think this one, you know, we have to also look at, uh, I'm I'm comparing my experience of my casual friends who are kind of getting back into Star Wars now that the Mandalorian is back, because that's really been the show that's brought people into Star Wars that previously had probably felt like, I don't know the lore. I'm, it's so overwhelming for me because all the stories are interconnected. The Mandalorian started as an entry point for a lot of people, right? And so I'm looking at it from the same way that I watch Marvel. Like after, mm-hmm. I, I haven't gone to see many of the movies in the theater. Uh, I haven't, I haven't watched, you know, some of the shows on, on Disney plus. And so last week's episode, and it was a great episode to kick things off, but you know, there was a lot of backtracking for people that might not have watched book of Boba Fett. So I heard the complaints, of course, like, Oh, we're just retreading stuff. And I'm going, well, they have to do that to kind of reestablish where the character is in case people aren't watching all of the star Wars stuff. Right. Um, so this was, in my opinion, probably like our first strong episode of where we're going this season. And uh, I can't believe actually that it's only the second episode, to be honest. Like this just punted this Din's storyline in his trajectory and the Mandalorians yeah. as people punted it down the field, which is crazy that it's only episode two. So if you're asking me what I thought about it, this is a fantastic episode. Yeah, I, I felt the same. I, I just, as I saw the title and then I saw how quickly, you know, I'm looking at the time as the episode's going, how quickly they're getting to Mandalore. Right. I was thinking the same thing, like, oh my God, they're just going for it. Like, what's left? There's so much left in this season. Where are we going from here? This is insane. We're, we're like, we're seeing Mandalore in live action for real, not just a flashback. Granted, it's wrecked. So it's not like we're seeing the beauty, all the, the castles and the, like, the, the cityscapes like we did in the Clone Wars, but nonetheless, we're seeing the right. remnants of them. We're there in live action. We're going into these places that we've never seen before. We get to see Bo-Katan wielding the Darksaber like a badass in live action. <laughs> yeah, We see a real-life mythosaur. We've never seen a mythosaur. We've only seen a skull. We've seen like... Which, dude, it's huge. Huge. It's huge. We've seen uh, like some legend stuff, but this is the first real thing. This is a pretty, pretty great canon debut. Uh, Grogu using the force and using it like pretty confidently, not getting all tired and passing out after, you know, uses it a couple of times and Grogu's vocalizing more. So he's growing. They're just like, like you said, just fully going for it, punting to use a a sports ball reference. Nice. And then overall the, uh, the production is, is just beautiful again. Like the design of the creatures, the quality of the CG, the sets. Like I didn't, again, I didn't think about the volume once. Everything just looked incredible. Um, they're flipping some character stuff. They're doing great stuff with Din Djarin and Bo-Katan challenging each other. We'll talk about that later. And in turn, having their own beliefs challenged. It's just dope. It's just, I feel so lucky to be watching it every second. It was an awesome episode. 100%. 100%. So I think all in all, 
if we're looking at what we can expect from this season, and I was a little worried when I saw Pelly because like Pelly has served as this like really great like comic relief, and Din has had this like funny relationship or, with her, and I was kind of like worried we were going to spend like too much time at, on Tatooine, just as like a you know let's just establish and give her you know give Din more character growth and have him trust more people and work with other droids, but just the fact that like we got this great little set of Easter eggs got this part of the, you know, that part of the side quest like established. And then all of a sudden it's like full onto the mines, which I'm like, yes. they, and they looked incredible. Yes. It looked amazing. Couldn't be happier. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas city, go Kevin or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, let's get into the synopsis. On his way to Mandalore, Din Djarin visits Pelimato on Tatooine to get a new memory circuit for IG-11. He needs a droid with him on Mandalore to scout ahead and test the atmosphere. He doesn't know what's down there. Needs help with that. Pelly doesn't have the part, but she sells him R5-D4 instead. We'll talk more about R5 later. Din and Grogu go to Mandalore. The atmosphere is safe to breathe. It's all good. They descend into the Mandalorian city of Sundari, looking for the mines. Along the way, Din fights some creatures. We got a name for those creatures. Uh, I'll mention it later. He uses the Darksaber, struggles with it, but wins. Uh, continues on, only to be captured by some kind of cybernetic creature. Very General Grievous or the... Uh, the Boromar monks. Yeah. The, uh, but there's also like this... Oh, what's the garbage compactor creature called? Dianoga. Di- yeah. It's, I, for a second, I thought it was like a Dianoga with a cybernetic suit. Interesting. But yeah. uh, really cool. Really gross design that is Star Wars, but definitely borrows from some other sci-fi that I really loved. He tells Grogu to go get help from Bo-Katan. He's captured. He's like in... Um, it was sort of, sort of like a big bear trap or something like that built in this robot that this thing rides in. So he's trapped in like this, uh, you know, what do you put the hot dogs in? You flip them around, you know, on the- <laughs> rotisserie. <laughs> uh, yeah. That kind of thing. Uh, so R five flies Gro- Grogu back to Bo-Katan's castle on Kalevala. Bo-Katan comes storming out to the landing pad in full Karen mode, ready to give Din a piece of her mind for the last time she has had it. Yeah. But finds sad baby Grogu by himself in there instead. She takes him back to Mandalore in her gauntlet starfighter. Badass. Love that thing. So good. Very spacious in the cockpit, too, compared to the N1. Didn't need to get one of those. Like the N1, but he needs a bigger ship. Grogu guides Bo-Katan to Din. Uh, she fights the cybernetic creature with the Darksaber, like we mentioned, wielding it with ease. It's not heavy. She's just, like, ripping it because it's her weapon, or at least it was, right? And let us also note, it is International Women's Day today. And she saved his ass because he was pathetic with that thing mm-hmm. and got his ass captured. So shout out to Bo-Katan. Shout out to Bo-Katan and the women of Star Wars and the women on Earth. Din, after being freed, insists on going to find the mines and the living waters. Bo's like, you're a mess. I'll take you there. In a way, she's reluctant, but she's also kind of like, there's not much to see. I'll take you there. It doesn't matter. So she goes along with him almost to just like prove a point. Along the way, she gives more backstory. There's a lot of exposition in the, uh, the kind of downtime in this episode. Yep. And when they arrive, she reads from a plaque at the water's edge, which I thought was so awesome. And it goes like this. These mines date back to the age of the first Mandalore. According to ancient folklore, the mines were once a mythosaur lair. Mandalore the Great is said to have tamed the mythical beast. It is from these legends that the Skull Signet was adopted and became the symbol of our planet. Pretty sick. I mean, we kind of knew that vaguely, mm-hmm. but this is the first time it's been said so explicitly, right? In anything. Right. Including mm-hmm. animation, right? Bo-Katan kind of like scoffs at this thing, dismisses it, as she's doing with the whole thing. You know, with the idea of like, even being part of the royal family, she's like, you know, I was part of the royal family, you know, it was a big freaking deal, you know? That's kind of her vibe the whole time. Mm-hmm. So as she's kind of just like scoffing at and dismissing all this crap, Din starts to walk into the water, reciting the creed as he goes. 
And I can't wait to hear at celebration hundreds of people in Mandalorian armor reciting these words. <laughs> I swear on my name and the names of the ancestors that I shall walk the way of the Mandalore and the words of the creed shall be forever forged in my heart. Dude, and how about the music coming in when he found that helmet right before he got trapped? Woo, 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 woo. Yeah. And suddenly he's pulled below the surface. Or does he fall because of his armor? Does he step off a ledge? It's hard to say. Nonetheless, he sinks to the bottom. Bo-Katan dives in to save him. She finds him at the bottom, brings him back up. Yep. And as they ascend to the surface, they pass by the giant horn and eye of what is apparently the very mythosaur on the plaque. The mythosaur. They come busting out of the water, land on the shore. Camera pushes in on Bo-Katan's helmet on her face, essentially. With this, even though we're not showing her face, the helmet is saying, holy shit. (laughs) Complete aghast. (laughs) And credits roll. Dude. (laughs) Whoa. Big whoa. 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 I didn't see any of that coming. The mythosaur stuff. Like, I knew something was going to happen, you know? But I didn't expect that. Am I dumb? Am I like, am I that dense? No. Was it obvious to anyone else? I think, I mean, I think that we, I think that it's, it's all been leading up to the fact that, you know, you have Tar Vizsla, who was a Jedi and Mandalorian. We've now have, we have Din and Grogu. We have a lot of, there were, I definitely think there were a lot of crumb trails and breadcrumbs that were put up uh, to make us understand that like the mythosaur is this, this beast, right? Like Grogu has tamed two giant beasts that were potentially going to kill everyone and he he saved them right uh, or he stopped them he was able to control them and part of that is when you think about how important this could be is that we know that what the mandalorian people are fractured some people even the royal family don't believe in the myths mm-hmm. right and bo-katan scoffing at the myth is so poetic in terms of like how ruling classes in history of humanity have used myths to literally train the peasants of the of the yeah. the land you know you, you look at the french government and like kings and queens would you know the oil on their head and it's anointed from god and all this stuff and it's like eventually someone was like you know we all we just do that's fake like that's all fake right like you know that doesn't it's not actually real but you guys believe it and so we have power because we're the ones who perpetuate it so she's almost like kind of saying you know you don't actually believe this stuff, right? She's like, I used to believe it. And then they came and destroyed my planet. We were supposed to be like the strongest people ever. And they destroyed our planet, turned it into glass. So she's like looking over at Din being like, I love how dumb and innocent you are. And she like literally says that. It's, like it's a, adorable, oh, she says. Yeah. yeah, you're committed to the cause, sure. It's so great because she plays kind of like, uh, you know, she's, uh, what, what do they call it? What's the filmmaking term? Like the, what Han Solo is for the original trilogy. You know, the one that's, that questions the concept of the force. Yeah, yeah, I would uh, kind of like I don't know. the uh, the commoner, the you know, the viewer, the the everyman kind of perspective. You know, like right, is this really real? Is this all bullshit? Yep. You know, the skeptic. Yeah, yeah, and then that is challenged by, in this case, seeing this giant creature that she thought was a complete myth, seeing it firsthand right in front of her face, and it even says in the captions as she's passing by Bo-Katan gasps, you know, like under her helmet, she's going, oh, what the yeah. Fuck? yeah. We had to, we had, yeah. to, you could have seen the little T visor just go. Arp. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think like in terms of when we're, we're, we're looking at her growth, right. And it, it's really hard because we know the extensive entire series of the clone wars which they explain where mandalore was at we saw the fall of it i mean it does make my heart break for people who uh aren't able to comprehend or feel like they could watch uh sometimes the slog of going through how many clone wars episodes there were but it really just shines a light on how well her character is being developed without needing to know all of that extensive back lore. But I think it's just like with Star Wars, right? When she showed up in in, in season two, if you were a fan of Clone Wars, you, you were like, that's Bo-Katan. My friends who didn't watch extensive animated Star Wars were like, oh, she's cool. She's got red hair. Yeah. She's got cool armor. Like, what's her story? You know? And I'm like, you don't even know. You know? So... 
I, it's it's really unbelievably cool watching the fact that we're going this deep into a character who fell into the Sarlacc pit in 1983. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's un, it's unreal. Yeah, incredible. <laughs> Maddie in the chat says, "I love that this show has taught us how to read the facial expressions through masks." <laughs> Not even a joke. <laughs> That's true. That's There's true. so much to be said. Patrick Husinger maybe said when we were talking about, or maybe Ryan mentioned this like early on about in theater, they teach you mask work, yeah. like being able to emote and express with something completely covering your face or your entire head. Right. Isn't a, a standard acting skill necessarily. Right. Uh, so shout out to Katie Sackhoff, shout out to uh, Latif Crowder and Brendan Wayne as well. Right. Dudes who are until this point, you know, we're technically just stunt guys, just stunt guys, air quotes, yeah, killing it on that level because we mm-hmm. we're reading it, we're, we're feeling it, yeah, hundred percent. And Latif barely, like, really showing how difficult that dark saber is, yeah. And like, he immediately lights it up. And what would normally be your like, you remember in the oh, in in quote unquote Din's episode of Book of Boba Fett when he walks mm-hmm. into the slaughterhouse, right? Yeah. He lights that thing up and it was like the crowd, <laughs> if there was a crowd, was like, yes, he did it. He did the thing. And he lights this thing up and normally what would have been this like ceremonious, oh, you're all yeah. in deep shit now. He lights it up and almost immediately drops it and <laughs> scrapes it on the ground. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, and he sucks with it. He sucks with it. And I think it's so important to show that, especially with how Bo-Katan picked it up like it was nothing and then completely diced that spider thing up. Like I'm like, and you know, and then she kicks up her Mando shield off her gauntlet. I'm like, Bo-Katan is unbelievably badass. And I like that she looked over at Grogu and was like, what are you looking at? You think your dad was the only Mandalorian? Grogu's like, oh shit, she, she rips, she rips. And they're, they're doing subtle things. Well, they're, hmm, they're subtle to us, but like when she has to reach for the dark saber as a sort of surface level star, star Wars fan, that's when you would expect someone to use the force to, to grab it, right? Pull it, pull it. Yeah, but yeah, she uses the kind of grappling hook thing, which is one of the many technologies that Mandalorians have that they developed to f- combat the Jedi's use of the force right. back in the day. Right. It's triggering those same feelings subconsciously. They're doing the same stuff, but they're doing it with their non-force version. Yeah. And I just love it. I just love yeah. to see it. Yeah, it's awesome. And I think, too, the thing we can certainly talk about is this idea of belief, mm-hmm. right? You have Din's, you know, Din's creed as being the only way that he was taught, and it's very hard for him to think outside of it. And then at the same time, you know, Bo-Katan's life has been full of betrayal, double-crossing, all of this stuff that would make her shake any belief because the amount of people that have told her things chose to side with her. You know, if you'll get the dark saber, you'll, you know, reunite Mandalore. She's like, sounds good. That didn't work out. You know, here, if you, if you go against your sister, we can actually be warrior people again. Well, that didn't work out either. You know, if, uh, you know, Maul comes and he's like, I'm going to be the new ruler of Mandalore. And she's like, I'm not going to buy that. So like Din is almost like this, the overly committed, almost like idiotic, idiotically religious person. Mm-hmm. And then you have Bo-Katan, who is like the callous non-believer. And it's almost like Din didn't see it. Yeah. That's the other point. I think that it's important because people are like, what are they going to do together? Din was like straight up like knocked out on the on the floor of the mine in underwater. Yeah. She drags him up. Well, first of all, like jet submarine jetpack. Yes. Legit. Yes. Right. <laughs> Um, but for her to pull him up and Din just like hits the ground, like he's made full, like he's made of lead. Right. And he's passed out and she is like, she was the only one that saw it and needed to see it. And what could be really interesting is if she chooses to tell Din. Yes. About it. Yeah. Cause she might not. Right. Like that's another part we haven't really talked about. So like, dude, episode three, let's go. Is it next week already? Okay. So here's a question. Is the encounter with the mythosaur in the living waters the proof that Din needs? Is that the way? Is that the, the, the ritual in a way? Is that known? Is that like a secret that's kept, you know, only for people who need to go through that, that cleansing process? Does the armorer even know that the mythosaur is down there? Like you said, if Bo-Katan doesn't tell him that, what is he going to go back and tell the armorer? 
I think he's going to go back and say that I did atone, right? So he he knows that. He the last thing he remembers is I walked into the waters. There was I thought there was going to be a floor on the pool, but there wasn't, and I fell. You know, I just disappeared, and then I woke up, and Bogotan was next to me, looking shook. So I think that for the armorer's point of the information that she needs to know, it's all like a perpetual. It's almost like practice first principle, like. The armorer has no idea. She's just passing on what she's been taught. Right. Right. But then Bo-Katan was defiant in that because she's like, I have no proof. And now she's seen proof. But how many people are just living the myth because they assume this is the way? Yeah. I'll just leave it at that. This is the way. And Din says that to Bo-Katan before he goes in. And it's like, it's, I don't know. It was just, it was written, it was written so well in that regard that I don't know what we're going to get because now it's like throwing all of our belief systems out the door because everyone's kind of being checked at this point, literally checked right now in this moment. So, and, and of course, Bo-Katan and the armor do not like each other. So this should be a fun table talk. Yeah. And you know, it was in the recap talking about, you know, the previously on talking about how much the armorer does not respect or like. She's a cautionary tale. Right. And Bo-Katan, in referring to the, their religion overall of the Children of the Watch, is, is speaking directly about the armorer, ultimately. So, yeah, they're not homies. That's going to go badly. But Din has to bring back some proof that he was in the living waters. Remember, she said something like, if you can go into the living waters and bring back proof, it's all good. This is the way, right? So what is that proof? How does that work? Unanswerable question. He's going he's to have to be like, listen... I have a witness. Yeah. Bo-Katan, come on in. <laughs> no, you brought her here. Um, I, I don't know. It's it's interesting. I think, too, uh, there was a Nerdist, a Nerdist article that came out today talking with Emily Swallow. Of course, she's like as tight-lipped as ever. But she does is specifically asked about, did John and Dave give you the background of Death Watch versus the children of the Watch and just the Watch, right? So we have these like three factions that we know of Death Watch at the time, which of course is overthrowing Satine Kreese. Bo-Katan is part of that. And then we have the Watch, which is kind of, I believe, what the children of the Watch are referring to the, I don't know, yeah. the youth of the church. And then we have the the priests and the ministers and all the high council of the church, which is I'm assuming the watch. Um, But what's interesting is I think we're really going to have, we're going to get some backstory as to why death watch no longer proceeded, which of course could have been with the fall of pre Vizsla at the hand of Maul. And, and I love so much that Bo equally cares about the, like she's learned. She can't just grab the dark saber and use it. She has to win it in combat. I'm assuming from taking it from another combatant, the same way that, Paz Vizsla tried to take it from Din. Mm-hmm. It's the only way. And she knows that. And so now at this point, she used the Darksaber and then literally gave it back to Din. It was like, I'm not ready to fight you on this. But it shows that she equally respects the tradition of it. Simultaneously, Maul tried to make her kneel to it and she didn't. Yeah. So it's like, is she learning the respect of the weapon? but she already knows how to like wield it better than Din does. I'm like, dude, she is an interesting character, man. Yeah. And she's got so much baggage from being a Royal. You know, she, she hasn't, she's not fully aware of her privilege. It seems like in a way yet. She also is cynical about it. Yeah. It's interesting. She's multifaceted. Well done. Well done on the writing level. Yeah. Last question before we get into the denim antiquities, does Bo-Katan's, use of the dark saber against the cybernetic creature count as winning it in battle or does she have to defeat the person who is wielding it to get it uh, i'm a, i mean if if you're playing hot potato with an ancient weapon <laughs> you know like it's like oh here just you got to go to the bathroom just leave that thing there i'll watch it and yeah. then you come back and you're like haha i've got the dark saber now yeah um i'm assuming it has to be more ceremonial than that yeah and i assume in some way the dark saber actually knows you know, there could be something built in like Excalibur. Of course, we know that, you know, this is a classic tale. So I think it would be easy to say, oh, it just has to be won in some kind of combat. But I think it has to be taken in combat. Yeah. Challenged like we saw pre Vizsla and Maul. Yeah. Classic tropes there. Neesons. <laughs> classic Neesons. All right. 
makes enough sense. I was just watching her use it, and I was like, damn, that's yours now. Just do it. She rips. Yeah. <laughs> You're the Manda lady. <laughs> the lady DeLorean. Let's move on. Hey, everyone. We want to take a moment to tell you about the sponsor of this podcast, Roosevelt. You may know Roosevelt as the company who makes those rad, all-over print button-downs with just about every franchise that you love. They, of course, have Star Wars, because this is a Star Wars podcast, but they also have Harry Potter, Disney, Pixar, Marvel, NASA, WWE, The Office, Nickelodeon, Rick and Morty, Friends, all kinds of other stuff, including new lines from Yellowstone and The Godfather. And not just button-downs, but t-shirts. They do shorts, jackets, hoodies, koozies, flannels, so many different kinds of items, so many dope designs. So if you're interested in picking something up for the first time, go to rsvlts.com and use promo code THANKTHEMAKER with no spaces to get 20% off your first purchase. Once again, that's rsvlts.com. Use promo code THANKTHEMAKER to get 20% off of your first purchase. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. For over a thousand generations. It is the dark side. It's a Calicori. A Sith Wayfinder. Dark science. Cloning. Secrets only the Sith knew. Mike, the Den of Antiquities is on you this week. Got some good ones. Ooh, Got some good ones. And it's deep and it's rich today. Oh my gosh, this Den of Antiquities. Well, let's of course start off with the opening scene of Moss Eisley, which it's very hard for me to say Moss Eisley now and not just Same. say Mosh Eisley. Yeah, we yes. both screw this up for each other. Every time. Way to go. Okay, that's good. So um, there's a punk rock club on Moss mm-hmm. Eisley called Mosh Eisley. We invite you to come there. San Diego Comic Con. We'll see you there. Um, but we have uh, racing versions of Land Speeders, which I know that we've gotten some like variants, but like I thought we were, you know, we've kind of seen like fast moving ships in many variations now, of course, in Star Wars, Bad Batch, we saw them earlier this season. But I don't think we've seen like a super tricked out land speeder in this regard, right? Like completely revved up. Not to my knowledge. Yeah. So I love that because I think at the beginning we were like, we're going to see pod racing, but this is almost like just as cool. And street racers. Yeah, it's dope. Yeah. And it's on Moss Eisley, not Moss Espa. So dig it. Uh, when you, when you go into Pelly's shop, uh, there were stacks of different gonks without legs, which of course we know gonks are basically walking portable batteries. But I thought that was really cool that we're seeing that it's, it's, it's literally a box, but for Star Wars fans, it's an iconic silhouette. It cracks me up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The first thing I thought was, damn, I'm just going to make some of those real quick and just put them back here. (laughs) I don't need that to put legs on them. Put all kinds of crap in there. I'll look Star Wars. Going to Walmart. What are all these boxes? Uh, excuse me, babe. Those are gonks. Yeah, Thank don't you. Touch yeah, that. yeah. Show some respect. Um, I love that Polly, uh, that Pelly also says, you know, what are you doing here? You're taking out Boba Fett? <laughs> As like this little funny line of acknowledging that A, Boba Fett is still around yep. for her to say that. But also, I'm sure that's the daimyo who is trying to clean up the streets of the outer rim, he's probably legitimately crushing her business yeah. because she is literally gaming people. She goes, it's going to take two months. I can move you up, but you got to pay me. And then she tells the Jawas to like come out of the <laughs> closet, repaint the pieces and make it seem like you're just putting his speeder back together. Yes. I'm like, Pelimato is a menace. <laughs> yeah. Dude. Also, I, speaking of Jawas, cause I didn't put this in later. I love when they come back out. She's like, oh, they're at the cantina by now. They come back and they've got necklaces on, like Mardi Gras style, like from the boot. The yeah, they got laid. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. That was awesome. So Pelly's missing tooth, uh, not filled in. Uh, it's it's even more showing that her her character is is hilarious and completely unexpected almost every time. Um, but she says when Grogu does this amazing little front flip that he's apparently quite good at, thanks to Luke Skywalker. Um, mm-hmm. She says, who taught you how to leap like a Lerman? And I'm like, Lerman, where have I heard that? And Lerman were the little monkey-like creatures that looked like 
What are the little creatures with the big um, yellow eyes? Lemurs. Lemurs. There you go. So they look like lemurs, and they were from the Clone Wars episode of I think it was episode fourteen, it was season one. Yeah, season one, fourteen, and they're the the pacifist species on that planet called Megiddo, uh, which Anakin and Ahsoka meet them. And there's like the you know the old noble, the noble uh, Lerman, who have like an Irish accent in the, in the episode. Yeah. Um, but they're, it's a really interesting episode for them to kind of show about uh, almost like they're very Jedi in the way that they approach the idea of if we start to fight, uh, we we lose ourselves, we lose our humanity because then we no longer have morals to stand on. Uh, so I thought that was just like a fun, like that's one little line that 99% of people are going to be like, oh, that sounds fun. But like that means a lot for people who have have followed Filoni through this wild maze. For sure. The, the N1 undercarriage. Now, there is a note in here where we say, how the heck does the astromech get out? And it looks like it almost gets shot out from the main thruster. So it can, there's maybe some magnetic piece, um, but there's a well behind the spot where he sits that puts the astromech straight up the butt and up the top. It's weird because there, there there's some stuff in like a visual dictionary for episode one because... The height of it, there's a, uh, a cross-section that shows, that explains why it's so weird. Because R2's head is all the way up the top, at the top. That thing's much longer. Yeah. And it shows that yeah. astromechs actually, like, extend their neck with this telescoping kind of thing. It, they went through a lot to make this work because Lucas just said, like, no, this looks better this way. We'll figure it out later. And they did. But now, I know there's that, there's that like, additional main thruster underneath his souped-up N1, right? That's not there on the standard one. Right. That's directly below where the astromech sits. But when they do the close-up of R5 popping down, he pops down behind, straight down behind the thruster. So, like, imagine, you know, if you're not watching the video, this is hard, but he's here, but then he pops down back here. Yeah. So, I don't know. This is going to be a tough one. I think it might be a Star Wars thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a Star Wars thing yeah. where you look at it and you go, hey, uh, how, where did Boba Fett get uh, all that firewood on a planet that doesn't have any vegetation. You know what? Let's not yeah. think about it too hard. How did R2 get down those stairs? We yeah. don't know. We don't know. Actually, you can see him walking in A New Hope. I found this amazing. <laughs> Thank you, Kenny Baker. We also have the boon to eat. Actually, another note. Pelly is like, oh, R5, if you don't shape up, I'm going to send you back to the Jawas. And he like shoots off his side panel because he's so nervous. <laughs> like they did an amazing job making him like the most nervous looking droid next to Gonky. Um, yes. But it was just incredible how they do it. And of course, if you remember in A New Hope, R5 is the one that blows the bad, has the bad motivator and uh, knows how brutal Jawas are to scrapping and treating droids. So he was legitimately terrified that he would be put back into the sand crawler. So uh, there's many notes of Boonta Eve and the in Boonta Weekend, um, which of course is it's originally was first mentioned in Star Wars Legends in continuity in 1985 in an animated series called Star Wars Droids, which is I think on Disney Plus right now. In the episode The White Witch. And of course, we know it probably most notably for most people as from episode one, the Boonta Eve classic, which is a pod racing circuit. Uh, and I think it's really cool that it's Kind of like, uh, you know, probably how the rest of Southern California treats San Diego area during Comic-Con. Yeah. As, uh, well, you know, it's uh, San Diego Comic-Con, so everyone's a complete zoo today. So I thought that was pretty funny. But so there's a lot of mentions of that. So, hey, don't worry. Prequel fans, you are getting lots of love. Mandalorian helmets can apparently be pressurized. I think we knew this because they are safe in space, but uh, it's cool for them to officially say that they can seal them off. Um, despite having some hair coming out the back. I know we talked yeah. about that last week. So I, I think that's pretty cool. Um, the creatures in the mines that almost look like the, the the dinosaurs with like the fins on their back. I think we had seen something like that in Jabba's palace. I'd have to go back. But I think it. you you have a note in here that might be from concept art. I think you're right. I'd love to go back and find that yeah. there's probably something in episode one, possibly on on Naboo. And the bipedal ones, you know, the, the muscly ones that are called uh, alamites. I was thinking concept art there too. I couldn't find anything, but they do look a lot like, you know, minus the head. They they remind me of the Gorn from uh, Star Trek, the original series. The like dinosaur headed green dude, you know, all muscly with the loincloth. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. I think that's like, yeah. just like an old school sci-fi yeah. show. Almost bosky, yeah. but not. 
Right, right. Yeah. And I thought that was pretty funny because I thought originally when we saw just that one, that it was the uh, uh, muff tack from A New Hope with the little, you know, the, with the little. Mm, mm, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, they have all the, they have the eight eyes and then they have the little, the sipper on the front. Yeah. Uh, but I was wrong. I'm going to admit, I can admit that I'm wrong. We have a Star Wars podcast. We were wrong all the time. It happens. Uh, a couple of things that we learned about Mandalore is that Din has never been to Mandalore Prime, but he's only been to Concordia which is the moon of Mandalore where he grew up. I think that's really interesting, of course, and not know the harmony between the two planets. And we know that through their history, those different factions did not get along and they had home bases on different places. Uh, so that's pretty interesting. Um, on Din's nav screen, when he's got the three and he's teaching Grogu how to use that, he's got Mandalore Prime, he's got Concordia, and he's got Kalvala on there too. So Kalvala is where Bo-Katan is. Uh, also, do you notice that she had a, like a cot next to her. Like she's just sleeping. Like she's sad bow. She's sad Catan yeah. for sure. Yeah. I was looking at that. I was like, oh no, someone, someone got to give her a quest, man. She's like wasting yeah. away in here. But yes, tr full Karen mode. I agree with that. Din kind of gives a little background of of Mandalore and saying that it used to be green and lush back when the songs were written. Uh, and so for Grogu to probably wonder what that was like, considering all the places that Grogu has and hasn't been, besides when he was training with Luke, was probably synonymous with like imagining what Takadana was like for Rey when she's like, I've never yeah, seen yeah. so much green in my life. You know, I thought that was kind of cool. It's also interesting to think about the timeline back when the songs were written. Yeah. Like when that actually was and canonically when like the Great Purge happened, when Tar Vizsla was, was at his reign, you know what I mean? Where that's all yep. pretty hazy right now, but little things like this kind of mm -hmm. help build out. And I'm sure someone like, you know, Star Wars Explained will do a rough timeline so we can get a little visual on how that all laid out. I dig that. Um, so Din kind of confirms that the fusion bombs where you can see these humongous craters on the planet, which are just, it looks, all of the planet looked amazing. Um, but the fusion bombs from the Night of a Thousand Tears disrupted the magnetic field of the planet. So his instruments don't work. So there is kind of this idea that like, you know, it's it's the the planet that can't be found or the planet that can't be navigated. Mm -hmm. So it's got all of the right things to make sense for why it's been very hard for people to come and uh, and revisit or reestablish any kind of civilization on it. And raise the stakes for the episode. 100%. Yeah. Um, those bipelled creatures were called Alamites. You said that in there. Uh, and apparently they used to live in the, in the wastelands beyond the cities. Uh, so they're kind of, all the planets have, you know, your, your inhabitants that are either outside of the populations or whatever, but I thought they were super interesting. Uh, and they were ugly. Man, I love a good mm. ugly, yeah. an ugly creature in Star Wars. Uh, Pog Soup, which uh, apparently is uh, mac and cheese of, of for Mandalorian <laughs> children. It's a go-to meal. I, I, I kind of was wondering if, if it's right, like, well, you don't eat this stuff? Everyone eats this stuff. It's like ramen. I, I wonder if there was some kind of uh, healing property to it because it's like why would you yeah, like the chicken noodle soup yeah you know i thought that was kind of interesting because you know she pulls it out and then gives it to him and he almost kind of like just kicks back in um but at the same time like we we can see how creepy that creature was because that creature was taking his blood Ugh, and yeah. so i'm assuming that creature like has to have some sort of organic feed to keep it going to keep it alive and i was like man that's weird but like you saw how many other mandalorians it had captured yeah uh, and so we don't really know if it was like feeding off the original inhabitants or like other people had attempted to come and be, you know, go to the mines and it captured them too. I was like, whoa, that's kind of, that's a little dark. Bo-Katan's exposition dump to, to Grogu about Mandalore, you know, she does actually speak pretty highly of it. She was like, you know, this used to be a beautiful civilization and my family ruled it all. And she says, I knew quite a few Jedi and we fought side by side. And I sent you a meme today that said, I, one time I slapped Ahsoka Tano's ass. Uh, so that was, that was a nice little shout out there. Uh, but Grogu just like kind of like perks up and he's like, it's like story time with mom. Yeah. So it, it was pretty cool uh, for her to kind of, you know, recognize that she does have a past that wasn't all just straight terror and uh, double crossing. And this stuff is, you know, it's, it's, they're playing catch up for people who haven't watched the cartoons once again. Yeah. You know, the, the connection with the Jedi and all that. Exactly. And it'll be interesting to see how far back we go with that in the, you know, in the story. Cause you know that Filoni wants to retell that in live action so yeah. bad. Uh, so we'll see how much of that we get. But the Mandalorian royal rituals, um, you know, princesses take the Mandalorian creed. Bo-Katan talks about her father, which is also really, it was really interesting because she talks about him dying defending Mandalore. Now, we know in Star Wars, sometimes when you say, this guy was killed by this guy, your father killed him, 
we can always say from a certain point of view. So we don't necessarily know if that's exactly what happened uh, because I don't think it's explicitly stated that, you know, here's all of this because, you know, we know that Satine was in power before the fall of Mandalore. All of this stuff could be open to a certain point of view. Yeah. Uh, so I think, I think it's very interesting. Um, but the minds of the planet go all the way back to the first Mandalore. And so whatever we're going to get out of what the mythosaur means, uh, is this the biggest mythosaur? Is, was the mythosaur used to be deeper, but since the planet has kind of become less inhabited, has the Mandalore kind of come up? Uh, as Qui-Gon Jinn says, there's always a bigger fish. Is there a bigger Mandalore because or man, uh, Mythosaur? Because that thing was freaking huge. And yeah. I think for some reason, maybe you're like me. I saw some like concept artwork and it was like it kind of looked like a T-Rex. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you like 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 Din's like riding riding on its neck. But I looked at that and I was like, yo, that thing's like Godzilla. Yes. So yeah, who knows? It could be like a goldfish style, like it's just the size of the bowl. You know, you get a bigger bowl, the fish gets bigger, as long as there's nothing mm-hmm. there to eat the fish it's just going to keep growing maybe it's the last one and it's just been eating every last thing on the planet <laughs> that makes its way in there you know but what i thought was really cool about the mines walking in there you know from a distance she's like and this is the entrance to the mines and you see it in the distance it's got a long tall skinny entrance that looks a lot like the front of the helmet you know you don't get the t at the top of the visor yeah. but it, it does have that look right the whole planet everything matches you know their geometric kind of uh identity you know what i mean the 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 chest plate love that all that stuff's everywhere that visual language they know what they're doing all right let's move on i love you i know favorite quotes favorite moments favorite scenes i can actually i can read these patron comments if you like and then uh we'll do ours go for it brian from discord we asked the Jedi and the Jedi Council tier patrons for their favorites. Brian says, watching Bo's entire perspective on the Mandalorian lore from her childhood flip from a fairy tale into reality with literally the blink of a mythosaur's eye. <laughs> That's true. That's yeah, true. It was incredible. Derek from the Discord says, I don't know why it's a favorite, but the fact that Din looks like he's still struggling with the Darksaber and Bo-Katan picked it up and used it with ease was very interesting. Yeah, agreed. And that's, again, going to be that like source of conflict between them. And not, not even conflict between them about who should, who wants it. You know, it's like it, just go, going back to, uh, you know, the finale when, when Luke showed up and he's like, just take it. Just take the damn thing. I don't want it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's going to be the same thing. I'm sure like, I don't know. He, I guess he was still conscious, right? In that thing when, when she freed him a little bit. So he saw her ripping with that thing. He's got to be like, Dude, what am I doing with this thing? Looking like a fool. Can we just take it? So we'll see how it pans out. Stacy Leanne, lastly from the patrons here, says, on the Bad Batch, she says, I know Crosshair has done bad things, but there's still good in him. And finally, he's seeing through the bullshit of the Empire. I agree. I hope it goes well for him. I hope he survives all this uh, cloning experimentation shit because for as bad as he is, I don't know. I, st- I still don't think he deserves it. Mm. I don't know. Mm. Maybe I'm giving him mm. too much credit. <laughs> Either way, thank you, patrons. They're still good in him. Mike, how about you? Yeah, so, I mean, I think Bad Batch, for me, my my moment is is seeing that, you know, in with all things, the thing that comes back for Star Wars, we touched a little bit in the sequels, Crosshair finally understanding that, like, there really isn't loyalty other than people that love you. Yeah. And I think like he knows deep down that like if he goes back to Hunter and, and it's like, I can't do this without you guys. He knows that they'll take it back because they're family. That's this thing that Omega keeps talking about. Right. And so I loved that finally it permeated that they don't care about you. They do not mm-hmm. care. Like we are not a family. We will fire you. You're, 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 an, you're an employee. You are an employee of an employer that does not care about you. They will fire you. We're not a family. This is a literally transactional relationship. Um, so I love that Crosshair finally saw through it in the most brutal way. For this episode of Mandalorian, uh, I, I, I'm just stoked that we are moving the story as far along as we are. And I think f- to establish Bo-Katan as the character on screen for me to talk about with my non-ultra geek friends who watch the cartoons. Uh, But for me with my casual friends, 
to start asking those questions of like why Bo-Katan is suddenly like way more important than just this red-haired woman who showed up, did some awesome stuff on a boat, <laughs> and then had this weird interaction with Luke Skywalker and like all this stuff. Like the, she she didn't really have that establishment yet. This episode particularly put Bogatan at the front of the line with the other Mandalorians and as someone who loves her character and the way that she is, she's written in the Star Wars universe. Dude, this was a Bogatan episode and I am here for it. You said it. You said it all. <laughs> There's very little I can say uh, about her that I haven't already said that you didn't just say now. Uh, it's spot on. But in terms of my favorite, it's tough. Man, it's tough because there's so much good stuff. And there's so many little great moments. You know, just just Grogu using the Force the way he did confidently, like I mentioned earlier. You know, pushing that right. that creature out the, the, the opening of the cave on his ass, you know? <laughs> Not even flinching. Ejection, yeah. Little stuff like that. You know, great comic relief from Pelly. All the stuff on Tatooine was great. But... I think the the final scene. Ooh, ooh, yeah, ooh. that too. God, so good. <laughs> the final scene before Din falls all the way to the bottom. You know, I, I can include the whole thing and cheat, but I would say to sort of pick a favorite quote or two and wrap it up in a scene, starting with Bo-Katan reading from the plaque, according to ancient folklore and so on about the mythosaur, her attitude, and then watching it shift because it, it, it seems like she is feeling something when Din starts to recite the creed and walk into the water. Yeah. It's giving her pause. If, if, if not like reining her back in from her extreme cynicism, it's at least giving her pause and she's like respecting it in the moment. His, his conviction. Yeah. His conviction is like alluring, I think. Yeah. And the way he just begins the ritual She's kind of just like, meh, whatever, looking around. And she turns around and he's just in it. He's fully in the moment. He takes off his jetpack. He puts down his weapons. He starts to walk in. And the lines, the, you know, the creed as it goes, I swear on my name and the names of the ancestors that I shall walk the way of the Mandalore and the words of the creed shall forever be forged in my heart. Has to be my favorite just because everyone's going to be saying it now all the time. It's just, a, <laughs> it's a, it's a new thing. It's the... It's the new, you know, mini monologue that everyone's going to know, everyone who's invested in these characters. So that's, that's it for me. That's the one. Yeah. Before, I, and before we go, I think there's something interesting to talk about too, because in last episode, <clears throat> Din asked like where her people are, like, where's your, you know, where's your crew? Yeah. And she's like, they're gone. They're out being mercenaries. She's watching him and going, this dude has literally seen Jedi he is raising a Jedi. He has run into my old friend Ahsoka Tano. He has crawled all over the galaxy. And this guy is still committed to this creed. She knows that the Armorer and Paz, they have a crew. They're indoctrinating new youth into their organization. And she's alone. And they've made that point very apparent that when we see her, she is always isolated in her own thoughts. And so I think it's really interesting that we look at her character and being like, this guy will not leave the oath and the creed of this organization of people versus she's been kicked out. She cannot find people to stay with her. There's something there. Yeah. There's certainly something there for saying, you know, like only your your army is only as many as who fight alongside you. And she's like, I don't know. That's why I like her as a character. I like it. Yeah. It's well-written. It's well done. Can't wait for next week. I don't want to speculate. We've already speculated enough. We're just going to be done now. We need to wrap up. I need to edit this thing. So patrons, thanks for being here with us. Jedi Council tier patrons watching us live. We are putting up video weekly. Sorry I'm late on last week's. Uh, we are putting up video weekly, though, for Jedi and Jedi Council tier patrons. Uh, the entry level tier just gets you access to our discord on patreon patreon.com slash thank to maker pod but the two upper tiers you get the video version too and it's ad free that's a bonus uh we are nice. we are moving forward with video making the push to youtube soon we're going to update patreon tiers as well include some new stuff it's going to be fun again patreon.com slash thank the maker pod follow this podcast on instagram and tiktok at thank the maker pod my stuff is all at adam the skull you can find me at Honda Supply and Armor Party. 
a podcast about armor building, getting into costume, wearing all this cool stuff where I interview people who are building it and living in it and working in it. And that is coming back very soon because all I needed was a little Star Wars and a little vacation to Star Wars land Mm -hmm. to get motivated to get back and do it. So stay tuned. I've got some really great guests lined up and I'm excited. And in the meantime, until you launch those next episodes, anyone who hasn't listened yet, go back and listen to, it was your last episode or the one before with Brendan Wayne, the real Brendan Wayne, the Mandalorian himself, not Pedro, but the man in the suit, the David Prowse of this Mandoverse. Yep. Pretty sick. Well done, sir. Thank you. Also follow Princess and Scoundrel. Listen to that podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find them tagged on every post that we make. And buy Mosh Eisley tickets if you're coming to San Diego Comic-Con. Come hang out with us. The best party in the galaxy. MoshEisley.com. You can also get merch there. And thank TheMakerMerch.com if you want to support this podcast in that way. Patrons, thanks for being here. Listeners, thanks for listening. Mike, thanks for co-hosting with me. Thanks for having me on. And until next week, may the Force be with you. 